0: Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry
1: and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourers Bench. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Fighting on Film. This week we are covering Men in War a 1957 Korean war film starring Aldo Ray and Robert Ryan. It follows a platoon-sized element of uh, a U.S. infantry unit, which finds itself inadvertently behind enemy lines Mm -hmm. uh, after a uh, North Korean-Chinese offensive, which has apparently obliterated forward elements. Just North Korean in 1950. Is it 50? Is that when it's set? Yeah. Sixth of September nineteen fifty, it says on the starting title screen. Oh, fuck me, I didn't even see it <laughs> Okay. So this unit was going to the hill to reinforce them and take supplies, etc. And mm. with that offensive, they've kind of like found themselves stuck behind enemy lines and their their vehicle is uh, beyond repair. You know, they they've come into some trouble because their their truck is sort of up on
0: its, you know, it's stuck on a sort of a the start of a ditch. So it looks like they yeah. might have been hit by
1: something and there's like a, there's an armored vehicle on fire on top of like a ridge as well. I couldn't yeah. make out what it was. I don't know whether you could. I wasn't sure what it was. I thought it might have been a half track. Yeah, it looked SPG-ish. Yeah, or it might, yeah, it might have been something like that. The film follows this unit as they try to reach that hill, not knowing because they can't reach anyone on on the radio. It basically just follows their progress towards this hill. Yeah. Uh, until we get a climax. It's very sort of simple plot where the men are going from A to B and then there's an
0: attack at the end. The movie concentrates more on the men as people and sort of how they've been affected by the combat. We don't see at the start, how they've been affected and how yeah. Benson's trying really hard to keep everyone's morale up and keep everyone moving.
1: You know, you know. I think he even says at the start of the movie. The quote is, in this war, you're either healthy or you're dead. That's it. Which is probably one of the best lines of the whole film, really. Yeah, the other good line
0: is when um, Aldo Rey's character gets stopped in his jeep and he goes, where do you think you are, Times Square? (laughs) (laughs) Quite a good one. And the guys that are um, involved are from the 24th Infantry Division. Um, Their patch is quite prevalently shown in most shots.
1: But as you say, I think the the title of the film is pretty descriptive. It's Men in War. Mm. And it... This film does kind of try and make a, a little bit more of a, an effort to portray sort of like combat stress, perhaps. You know, there's a couple of people who've got shell shock. There's people dealing with the situation in various different ways. Mm. There's a an NCO which, who's a little bit shaken, a little bit flaky. And also, I mean, the main characters are uh, uh, Aldo Ray's character, Montana, and Robert Ryan's character, Lieutenant Benson. It's those two characters that sort of carry the the narrative of the film.
0: Yeah. And they play off each other quite well. When we first introduced to them, it's obvious that Aldo Ray's character's been through quite a lot. You know, he's got like mm. a thousand yard stare and the Colonel that he's with is mute pretty much throughout the whole movie. And it's implied that, you know, he says, you know, he's sick in the head. So it's it's implied he's got some sort of shell shock or, or he's seen some horrible stuff. It it mentions a mine went off near him? That's it, yeah. So, mm. so you know, he's, he's a bit dazed still. You know, they're trying to get these guys back and Montana doesn't want to help, but he has to. To get the colonel back, which is his overarching goal, he has to help Benson. There's a, a squad attack at the end that they attack a bunker, and it and it just goes completely wrong,
1: which was very different, I think, to what I was expecting. I think that's where the film tries to be a little bit different again from other films of its era, mm. where it tries to show something a little bit more, perhaps perhaps not realistic, but perhaps more um, authentic. I don't know whether yeah. that's correct. That's the right word for it
0: gritty more, more a gritty end grisly end possibly
1: yeah i, I think know. it's trying to show something that might be a little bit closer to the reality of war not everyone survives an attack yeah um not every not every operation goes to plan and i think that's what the screenplay of the movie is trying to get at
0: yeah i think i think you're right because um you know if you haven't seen this movie at the end spoiler alert but only benson and ray sorry montana and um, benson survive Maybe one of their corporals might survive as well. Yeah, I
1: think I think so. Someone does appear at the end. Yeah. Also not knowing who that corporal is kind of speaks to the how the rest of the cast in the film are used. We don't really get any sort of like sense of who they are other than brief moments. You could make a, a play for, you know, it's men in
0: war. It's just men in war, <laughs> unfortunately. That might be an, an opportunity to talk a little bit more about the cast. Mm. Robert Ryan, who for fans, for listeners, might know from Marine Raider, or Longest Day, he played Jim Gavin in it. Um, So you probably know him from that if you don't know him from any of his other work. Um, Aldo Ray, he was in uh, The Green Berets. Yeah, he was. And you have a young Vic Moreau, and fans of the 60s TV series Combat will know him as Sergeant Chip Saunders. He's quite an integral part in that. He's he's very young in this, um, and I think he actually does a good job uh, of what he's got to do. And then Robert Keith, and he plays the Colonel,
1: and that's the only real people of any merit. It's funny because throughout the film, uh, Benson Ryan's character uses a notebook to sort of uh, list off the names of his men. Mm-hmm. As you're watching it, you kind of feel like you would also need a notebook, yeah, just to, like keep track of who is supposed to be in this platoon. Whereas a guy commanding a, a platoon would know all of his men; mm. you wouldn't need a notebook to like flip through and go.
0: Because some of them don't, and they have little moments you know, how they they mention his leadership. But Mm. I I just couldn't, I found it hard to sort of care. Spoilers again, but when they get a lot of them get gunned down at the end, I didn't really have
1: a lot of emotion for them. No. And that kind of undermines, I think the aim of the film a little bit, because we're supposed to think about these men in war Mm. and, you know, the difficult situations they're finding themselves in.
0: And everyone's very tired and war weary. And the only person who adds any sort of, pizzazz or panache to, to the proceedings is ray because he he has
1: a lot of things to do i quite like um staff sergeant uh killian who's played by james edwards okay he's the the black nco which is interesting in itself because obviously it's a re- relatively rare portrayal of you know the the post segregated us army because
0: yeah the us army
1: not. desegregated in 49 Yes, but a lot of the films um, that Hollywood put out after that didn't really kind of get the memo. No, they didn't. Partially because a lot of them were World War II movies, and segregation was still in, you know, yes, in effect very true. at that point. But also because, you know, it just it, it, they don't seem to have, you know, been interested in that kind of representation. So I like James Edwards' character in that, and I think I think Killian's character is good. You know, he has. Some nice scenes with Vic Moreau. Yeah, he's shown
0: to be very caring towards him.
1: He's a quality NCO in that he's looking after his men. Mm. He has an easy style. He dies far too soon into the period in, for me. Mm. And
0: the, the other part of the plot is they're being stalked by North Korean infiltrators and that they mm. sneaking up on them, taking them out one by one. I know the, the director, Anthony Mann, we'll talk about production in a bit, but he was known for making Western films. So at a time I was like, this is like the wagon train being taken out one by one
1: you could easily switch out uh north koreans for apaches and yeah the the soldiers for u.s cavalry you know it's it, you could definitely do it anthony mann's back catalogue is lots of really good solid westerns lots of them with james stewart and the heroes of telemark and *Heroes a telemark as well which we can i'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the production bit in a moment he's a solid director mm. this and here here is a telemark are his only war movies yeah, they are. I think they are. Yeah. And Heroes of Telemark is a far superior movie. Oh, it is, yeah. You can tell he learned a lot from this. The thing with the espionage element of Heroes of Telemark is it kind of draws on his background in noir films. Yes. He was basically known for Westerns and noir movies. And it comes through, you know, you with Robert Ryan's
0: character, he, you could see him as like a grizzled P.I., like post-war sort of thing he's got that look. Mm. He, he does look really good in his gear. I must admit most of the lads in it they do look great in their gear. Um they're believable as soldiers, I think personally. Yeah. Ray maybe not. I don't think he's miscast. I just think he's playing a different play- he's not playing a soldier. He's playing someone who wants who wants to get out of there. Mm. But he also is shown to be a good soldier, so it's a bit of an odd character there. Um but yeah, I mean it's hard it's a hard one to sort of judge because it's it's, there's a lot to go on but then there's periods in the movie where there's just not a lot going on
1: it's like you said earlier it's a road movie it does feel like a road movie so they're progressing towards their end destination and there's little set pieces that happen throughout so there's uh an artillery barrage which is a weird scene yeah like there's there's an art there's an artillery barrage which is sort of blocking the road and it's incredibly zeroed into that little road. Yeah, and it's very narrowly zeroed in. Yeah. They only fire three round salvos and Benson gets his pocketbook out and sends his men through piecemeal, which is really weird. I don't think that's how that would have been handled.
0: And there's some sort of an arbitrary reason why they're shooting like that. And and Robert Ryan says, oh, there's a, re- there's a reason why they're shooting three rounds. And you're like, what?
1: They just stonk you, mate. That scene doesn't work for me. No. There's another scene where there's a, a, mi- a minefield and there's all those North Korean infiltrator attacks that sort of like stop the column. Those scenes are good. I like those bits. Hmm. Although I think it's weird that none of them have have rifles. <laughs> they don't. They actually say in the film they're short on rifles, but they've got plenty of men. Yeah, that's not which right. is true, but not that true. Like they, anyone that had infiltrated that far in would be armed. Hmm. And there seems to be that one of my issues with the movie is. There's only coordination of the enemy when the plot needs it. Yeah. So much of the time, these infiltrators are attacking the column with, you know, just bayonets. Or little daggers or something. Yeah, and it's ones and twos. Mm. But you And then you never really see any coordination. And it's just a bit weird. That's just something, probably to the average viewer, that wouldn't be an issue. But to me, I'm like, yeah, this is really piecemeal. Why are they Why are they doing it like this? Like, do, are they really attacking just for their the to steal their weapons?
0: But then some shots, they're clearly like they could clearly be seen from like every ridgeline around the establishing shots, and I'm like, you just call an artillery strike in. We'd set an MG up and you'd lay waste to them all, and you'd move on.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: They're very much used on the plot, as you said, when the plot needs them to be. Um, there's there's definite plot holes there as is. well yeah and that actually might be answered in the in the production it was released by united artists um as we said as we mentioned directed by anthony mann who later went on to direct the fantastic heroes of telemark
1: he also did el Cid and the fall of the roman empire which are you know pretty epic movies definitely so he was a a big director by by the 60s It's
0: adapted from a book called day without end which is a world war ii novel um and uh, me and matt think possibly you know updating it to korea was to be more topical around the time the film was released and maybe sort of make it stand out from second world war films
1: i think so i think that makes sense um because i believe that the book it was based on was sort of like set in normandy mm. i don't see the parallels but no i wonder how this would have worked if it was set in normandy yeah it would have been a bit odd but- but I mean it, it, it certainly works as a Korean war movie. Yeah, it
0: works more, I think, more
1: so. Mm, I think I think as we said earlier, like the the way that man handles the North Koreans yeah. mirrors sort of the period's Westerns. I don't think that would have quite worked as you know, with Germans. The Germans would be everywhere, surely, sort of thing. Maybe people aren't as aware I mean it would have been interested as a movie set in the Bocage. Yeah, that might ah, that might have been good. Yeah, that would that would have been interesting. Be it's so like a, like a lost platoon mm. trying to, put I mean the boucage wasn't that big, so they'd have to be really lost. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, all you have to do is like head west. Yeah, and you would get back to, to you your know, own lines. Allied lines,
0: wouldn't you? Mm. The other interesting thing is, this film had no help from the Pentagon, so mm. the the U.S. Army didn't like the representation of men in it. And I've got a, a quote from the army, uh, why they didn't like it. They said it would offend the dignity of commissioned and non-commissioned officers. So, yeah, they didn't help with props, didn't help with extras, no tanks nor anything like that. No technical assistance whatsoever. They famously were quite forthcoming with with helping with movies.
1: Yeah, the 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 US Army of, of the, the 50s, 60s were hot on like any kind of you know, anything they could assist with Hollywood-wise that made them look good. They were they were definitely up for it.
0: Then the, the script had to be altered when that happened. So the the, the director and his cinematographer, they concentrated on the scenery um, more. So it was filmed in Bronson Canyon, which is in Hollywood. MASH was filmed there, I think you, was, you were telling me earlier. Yeah. It was made for just under a million dollars and it made only 500,000 domestically, but internationally it made 2 million. So it didn't do too badly. The music was also by uh, Elmer Bernstein. He's a really famous composer. He is. The theme song at the end is quite rousing, isn't it? Men in war, men in war. Yeah, I I hate it.
1: It's it's exactly what you don't need at the end of this film. You know, we start off the film with a really stark sort of like title image of some uh, line drawings of grizzled soldiers with thousand yard stares. And then we end it with like, how the West was won, or like a <laughs> early fifties like terrible Western yeah. theme song. It could be like from Annie, couldn't it? So not Annie. Yeah, Annie it's, that, There's there's a certain type of of Western film that had those type of songs at the end of them, and this is exactly the kind of film that didn't need it. No, it's it just doesn't work for me. I don't think we've had a film that is stark. The ending is. Probably unexpected to what most simple yeah. goers would have, you know, expected. Um Robert Ryan and and Ray are basically exhausted at the end of this movie. There's a poignant scene at the end, which is a little kitsch, but it's poignant. Yeah. And then it sort of flows into this sort of weird Western movie theme song. I
0: mean, I guess it's so they could sell sell it on vinyl. I have
1: no idea how that worked back then, maybe.
0: Yeah, no, I've seen I've seen pictures when I was researching. There's pictures of the,
1: the soundtrack on vinyl. Okay, okay. So maybe they wanted a, a song to to sort of build it around. Fair enough.
0: This men, men in War soundtrack kit now available in the lobby.
1: Definitely would not have bought that one, but you know. Just... <laughs> no. <laughs> Any self-respecting
0: um, connoisseur would not be wanting Men in War in their collection.
1: <laughs> so the screenplay is interesting too, the story around the screenplay. Uh, it was credited to uh, Philip who mm. who's quite a well-known uh, screenwriter. Yeah. But it's believed it was actually written by uh, a chap that was blacklisted, Ben Maddow. And he was blacklisted for being basically too left-wing. So we have that whole sort of uh, McCarthyism sort of vibe going on. And he was, Red Menace. He was blacklisted and wrote numerous fairly well-known mm. films. It was quite prolific and jordan and a few other people were sort of the front for him it's quite interesting isn't it all that mccarthyism blacklisting and all that it kind of divided hollywood along it did political lines for a while didn't it maybe that's one of the reasons the army wouldn't help for this movie maybe they got weight from up top who knows i there's no there's literally no way of knowing i mean the, the army may have had some idea but who knows who knows
0: It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film.
1: So Matt, regale us with your Alley Tally this week. There's a lot of kit in this movie. There's a lot of kit. One of the first things I spotted was M1 carbines with bayonets that's cool it it does look good there's a lovely shot at the start a guy like covering the the ridge line Mm, and he's he's letting rip with a with it of like hip level yes it's just a really that's a really beautiful shot actually there's some really nice cinematography which I'll I'll get to later on Mm. there's a few little bits in in the film with Kit that are really interesting so you've got an M9 bazooka which you don't see too often um which is a a nice inclusion that sort of like pays off at the end yep um there's a bar there is uh and i'm not entirely sure because you don't really see that bar until the very end of the movie no you don't it just sort of appears isn't it i'm not entirely sure that it is uh an m1919a2 because the close-ups that we do get we see the end, and it's got the original m1918 world war one era um bar mm-hmm. forend so it's quite, quite noticeably different. So it's chunkier, it's taller, and it has sort of knurling on the wooden surface. Yeah, that's, yeah. Whereas yeah. the World War II era uh, M1919, sorry, M1918A2 nineteen nineteen has more of a, a, a scalloped lower profile. Ostensibly, it looks like an, an, an A2. It's got the bipod, it has the, the, the flash hider. But then the rate of fire from the BAR seemed a little high. Mm. i mean that, that that could have been because it was running blanks i don't know maybe it might have been you know altered by an armor but it, it just there's just that and the fore end made me think oh that's that's an original m1918 playing the role of an a2 mm. which i thought was you know kind of interesting
0: there's some really good weapon close-ups at the end really nice ones
1: yeah yeah there's some surprising stuff as well so you know you have uh ray ends up with a japanese type 99 light machine gun not a lot of Chaikon weapons, like no SKSs, all things like that. No, but there was a PPSH Papasha 41. Yeah, there was. That was nice to see. Blink and you'll miss it sort of thing. That is an iconic weapon of the Korean War. It is. Yeah, definitely. So they were lucky to find that. But you're kind of thinking, why didn't we see more of that?
0: And there's no Mosins as well. The um, North Korean sniper has a Gewehr 98. Mm. So they're obviously stand-ins for Mosins. Um, but it didn't really jar me. I thought I knew what they were going for. And then, obviously, at the end, the um the North Korean machine gunners have a, a Vickers gun. Which Robert Ryan has a nap on. It does. It must be really uncomfortable, that. I was like, what's he doing? Use a sandbag, mate. What are you doing?
1: But that's obviously meant to be a Maxim gun. Yeah, I, I would assume so, like a PM 1910 or something like that, perhaps. It's just nice to see it. It's nice to see a Vickers gun. There's a surprising plethora of kit, though. It's quite enjoyable on the kit side of things.
0: Yeah, I took a screenshot. Um, at 4 minutes 51, if, if any of you have got the,
1: the DVD... The Dodge that's been broken—it's not been blown up, but it's—it's it's in a. St- I don't know. He, the, um, Kenyon is underneath it at the beginning, isn't he? He says like the drive, the drive shafts shot. So maybe they hit a mine.
0: Yeah, I took a screenshot of all the kit in the back. So you've got combat meal individual boxes, um, like ration boxes, C-rat boxes. Oh, cool. Um, you've got what looks to be like the tripod for the thirty cal men's haversacks ammunition boxes yeah the m2 flamethrower that turns up later on that's in there yeah you got the m9 bazooka the rocket launcher yeah that's in it's in it's, in its sort of disconnected
1: state the bar's slung on the seat there as well yeah yeah
0: um we,
1: we, we, we're to, to to the listener we're currently looking at this picture me and matt we're gonna have to branch out into um Screen caps from film analysis. Because <laughs> I hear I hear photo analysis is really popular it's, right it's, now.
0: It's all the rage, Matt. It's all the
1: rage. And the kids love it. I was like, oh, there's your
0: alley tally right there. There's that nice sweeping shot of the back of the Dodge.
1: Literal Dodge full of alley. Alley Dodge. It's new, the Dodge Alley. Get it all, good dealerships.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's my alley tally this week. The, the movie sort of, it has a lot of kit, but then it has extremely minimal action.
1: She went on an im gym with a bed foot full of really nice alley brick oh, kit. Now don't tease us, That Don't tease us. Anything else you'd like to add? When it comes to sort of like kit, like the the uniforms seem okay. We've got like a mix of like US Marine Corps covering on the helmets. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's and nice. then some nets. That's very accurate. But then okay. there's there's weird like um NCO markings on the helmets, which yeah. I've never ever seen anything like that in photographs.
0: That's a very film thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of like what you would imagine toy soldiers to have, like <laughs> painted on the helmets. Yeah, I get what you
0: mean. Yeah,
1: like the the NCO rank chevrons, and I just thought I was I thinking that's really weird. And Robert Ryan's character is absolutely plastered in insignia. Mm-hmm. So he's wearing his um, combat infantryman uh, rifle cross rifles yeah. badge. He's got the combat infantryman badge. He's basically he's he's way down got so much reflective insignia on him. You you wonder how the North Koreans didn't spot them out. That's yet.
0: very, very true. Um, yeah, that is true. But no one else seems to have no it's all very basic. I think as much. Just very basic. I mean, he looks he looks very off like war like war weary officer. You know, he's got his binoculars mm. case, he's got a musette bag, um like big haversack thing on his shoulder. He's got proper carbine webbing on which you don't see very often that was nice but then you know the carryover from from world war ii to korea is very very slim there's there's
1: you know there's not really much new kit introduced for the korean war very true yeah we also see ray with uh like a cavalry quite a large cavalry patch the colonel's got one too mm, makes sense same unit uh i think you mentioned earlier it might have been fair Have. might have been um but i did wonder whether by the korean war they'd introduced such large sort of like unit patches huge. or whether that was sort of a post-war thing and it was just whatever they could get their hands on yeah because obviously the you know said it before but they're they they have not got any help so if they get it wrong maybe they wouldn't know as you said earlier the the, the rest of the platoon is 24th inth div. yeah they are so they have a, they have the little insignia mm. And that looks about the right size. Yeah, it looks right.
0: A, I mean, they were fighting. Apparently, flashback. they were fighting early, early Korean War anyway, so it isn't out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the beat back to Pusan, I don't think anything was inherently wrong. I mean, some of the Korean gear is a bit cobbled together.
1: Yeah, like a bandolier with with round, rifle rounds in it, yeah. and they haven't got a rifle. Yeah, it's a bit odd. Slapdash. Mm. It's passable.
0: The kit in it's passable. Don't forget to mention when Ray guns that guy down, and he goes, "Why did you shoot him?" He was unarmed, and he goes, "Oh, the the, the communists have pistols in their caps. They get out a little cute little pistol from the from the dead."
1: Yeah, like a little little uh, CZ twenty-five yeah. or something like a little twenty-five ACP pocket pistol.
0: It's proper. Like it's one of those proper. Sh- like you only get these sort of shots in in older films where someone clearly not the actor's hand comes and takes
1: the gun out of the. Of the, the the helmet and shows it to the. It's camera. a detail shot as well, isn't it? It's a super close up, really nice like shot of the of the gun.
0: It would be like you know, in if because obviously, man directs noir films. You could just see sort of PI going, "Look, I found that like, weapon the, the murderer used." And be like, pulls it out of like a a drawer or something, like to mm-hmm. present it to the camera. It seems that sort of technique.
1: What have you got for fave scenes, Robbie?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about mine first because
1: Matt this week isn't
0: sure um, for the first time in a while. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Yeah, Matt's not sure. I've got a, a favourite bit. So towards the end of the film, they attack the MG position. So it goes wrong. Everyone sort of forgets how to... It's sort- a fucking shambles, Robbie. You're you <laughs> it, but yes, <laughs> it does fucking, go wrong. It's a fucking shambles. Everyone forgets that you don't just run out into, into like no cover. You're going to get gunned down. They're all very, oh, we've got to save the lieutenant. He's been shot. And then they go to run to get him, but they just run it out in the open and get gunned down. Everyone, yes, everyone yeah, dies repeatedly. Uh, well, the Colonel gets killed. He tries to help, um, and has this sort of moment of clarity where he's decided he's just going to go and walk
1: up the hill for Thompson. Yeah, he just charges up the hill with, with the Thompson, which is an M1928A1, not an M1A1. Yes, so it's got the cocking handle on the top. So that's interesting that it's uh, an older Thompson. Yeah, it is. I think they were still kicking about oh god yeah they were probably kicking about but i think by that point they'd moved mostly onto m1a1s and m3 grease guns by that point
0: colonel's dead and it's just montana and and, um benson loggerheads the whole movie they don't see eye to eye Mm. and they share a a lucky strike they psych themselves up to go and get the the last bit of the bunker and then they just come across the the flamethrower that's just been left on the ground and there's a convenient box of grenades next to it so Montana puts on the the, the flamethrower, gets ready and, and, and Benson loads up with grenades and then they, they go and take out the, the pillbox. Which is quite funny because they're shooting at it with the flamethrower, but it doesn't set fire or anything like that massively, even
1: though they're shooting like a jet. It doesn't seem to reach it for the it first couple know. of spurts, does no, it? I was going to say that, yeah. And then it explodes, goes up like a bonfire. Ryan throws a couple of hand grenades in, doesn't he? Mm, and
0: then, you know, there's another MG position that's shooting at them, but can't be seen which I was like, well, that's wrong. <laughs> where the hell are they shooting them from? Because it's very <laughs> odd. Um, fans of the Twitter will, we, we watched an awful D-Day film a few weeks back and we were like, where where are the Germans shooting from on a ridgeline? Because they're firing forward, but they're below them. It's quite,
1: it was weird. It's a little... That that film was quite possibly the, the worst thing I've ever watched.
0: <laughs> it's very odd. Oh
1: God, honestly. We're going to have to cover it. I know we are. I aren't. think we're going to have to. We're going to have to.
0: So they take out the they take out the, the, the little bunker thing and then Benson throws some some grenades and, and that's the end of the film. But I liked it because it, it showed the two men coming together. Mm. You know, they buried the hatchet
1: and they were like, right, we've got to yeah, we've got to go and take out the enemy now. But that was it for me. So just coming off that, that final attack is a classic example of why NCOs are essential. True. Because by the point they reach the hill, they have one corporal left. Mm-hmm. And Montana is not a helpful NCO. He doesn't want to be involved. He only reluctantly goes into the battle when the colonel sort of leads the way. But we just want one corporal left to coordinate an entire sort of squad. It's 12 men at that point. Because And the corporal that is with them is clearly suffering shell shock or something. He's not combat effective. Exactly. And Benson foolishly insists on attacking the first North Korean defensive position on his own mm. And just leaving his men to do what he wants, so that he's not coordinating the assault. He plans it fairly well. He has um, a couple of machine guns giving supporting fire. Yep. He's going to attack the first pillbox, and then a supporting element will sweep up the hill. That's what he's planning, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all sort of synchronized to watches. But as soon as like the plan falls apart, there doesn't seem to be a plan B. Their plan just seems no. It's completely ridiculous. So without without any NCOs controlling them. They basically just decide to do what they want. They either stop firing, giving covering fire, mm. or they run out and, and try and help wounded people who have already run out. So the the entire assault becomes a shambles and ninety five percent of the, the attacking force is wiped out unnecessarily.
0: I had an issue with they they've got a really nice shot of, of Vic Moreau's character shooting the bazooka. It looks like a live round, I think. Yeah, it's pretty convincing. It's it yeah. That is one of my favourite parts, and I will mention that in a minute. But it annoys me how he's just seen shooting at some random piece of rock, not firing it at the bunker, which probably that would just take one round and it'd be it'd be up in flames.
1: Yeah, there's sandbag bunkers. Like, a... sorry to steal your thunder there. Not at all. Like a single rocket launcher round would have knocked out that position. One of the things about the final climactic sequence is it's underwhelming. So mm. the the huge amount of build. That the the rest of the film gives is kind of like oh okay mm. i'm not saying it's inaccurate though no it's, i no. mean it's, it's a squad with no ncos so the command and control of an of a fairly complex attack mm. broken down so that's relatively you know realistic and you know men would have panicked and you know gone and tried to help other people it just shows that ryan's a really poor officer or benson mm. ryan's character is a pretty poor officer should have been coordinating that attack and had someone else move forward to attack the, the bunker.
0: Yeah. Well he goes off on his own, doesn't he? He straps a, a field dress into his back so they can tell who he is, I assume. Which is absolute crap as well. Like, I didn't
1: quite understand that. No. Um, you'd know you'd know exactly where he looked like they weren't far. Literally away. 200 yards away. You can see who is who. Really weird. And it's on like a on like a fairly steep hill. There's not going to be that many North Koreans running around. No. It's there's no scrub.
0: No, and he you know
1: he gets shot in the hand. And
0: then they go, oh, yeah. the, the, the lieutenant's been shot. Let's go and help him.
1: Yeah, so the the, the brown in 30 cal stops firing. The main weapon <laughs> yeah. that's covering the attack yeah. stops firing and they just run out into like open ground and get killed. It's there because it wants you to go, oh my God, look at them all. They're getting killed. And I sort of did mm-hmm. do that. I was like, hang on, whoa,
0: hang on. You're killing all your car stuff it. Yeah, it's, it's weak, but uh, it's intentionally weak, I think. Because the enemy is quite faceless. That They're not poised as like the big bad communist enemy which is quite actually quite refreshing for a, a a movie of that time you know
1: they're not Yeah, you barely see them. Yeah. You see you see some skulking. There's no political element to the fighting in the communists the communists which is quite rare. No, there, there's some interesting lines from from Ryan where he's he's talking about this war's going to be never ending and you know what kind of person do we need to win this war? Yeah. Do we need someone who is completely unhinged even though to the war's already war. ended by the time the war movie comes out. Well, obviously, 1957. It's been over for a few years. For that, if it had come out in 1952, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, if it come out during that, it would have been like, wow. Yeah, that's okay. what I
0: mean. Like some of the lines don't. I wonder if it was written during the time.
1: Yeah, the screenplay could have been. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Oh, you've got the whole bit with the with the medals and <sighs> the part where he's throwing silver stars that the colonel had brought to decorate his men with is a little weird.
0: It's odd. It's an odd end. Hmm. He sort of he's like, oh, the colonel never got to award these to his to his men. It's implied that all the men that got killed in this absolute
1: bungled attack are worthy of silver stars, and and they throw it into the ravine. And Ray says, "What about the colonel?" And Benson doesn't even like th- even think about including him in the list of you know men that should be decorated. Yeah, but it's it's a little bit jarring. Weird, isn't it?
0: It is a little bit. Because I thought the movie was going to end when they both passed out from exhaustion, from fight. And I thought that would have been a good end. That would have been a yeah, decent it be. end to the film. I'd have felt for the characters. I'd have felt for the men that died. But because they wake up... Cue the men in war song. Do the men in war song. It'd probably work. <laughs> it wouldn't have been as jarring. You get a horrible 50s close-up of some prawns or something. They look horrible, what, what they eat for breakfast. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, it looked yeah. disgusting. It was like it's like dried sweet corn and dried shrimp. And I was just like, what the hell are they eating? Where'd they find that? Um, anyway. Must have been in the bunker. Must have been, yeah. Um, close up of food in movies always looks weird to me, anyway. It's just a personal. Completely unnecessary. Weird, yeah. And they have that chat about the medals. And then I'm just like, well, what? That's a poor, that's a weak ending to your film. It's sort of, you know, I'm like, well, none of these guys deserve medals because they didn't do anything that heroic. You know, if anything, Ray and Ryan deserve medals because they single, while injured, took out two MG positions on their own. And I'm like, well, they deserve the medals, not, not the men that ran out in front of a machine gun.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the real climax of the film is the uh, the coming together of Ray and Ryan's characters, isn't it? So Ray, we didn't mention it earlier, but Ray is reluctant to... We did mention the fact that he's reluctant to help Ryan, but the reason he's reluctant is because he wants to get the colonel back to safety. Um, yeah, he wants to go back to Busan, yeah. But the relationship between Ray and the Colonel is is sort of father son esque, and it's yeah. kind of clumsily handled in places. Um, a clunky, a little bit clunky, yeah. But they, the the, the real sort of pinnacle, of the, the climax of the film, isn't the attack. It's Ray and Ryan saying, "Okay, we'll 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 attack the hill together. We'll work together."
0: Mm. I think. Yeah, it's an odd one.
1: But in terms of my favourite scenes, um, I, don't, I don't have a particular favourite scene. I have favourite bits of cinematography, which is about as generous as I can be. So there's a couple of really nice shots. And the cinematographer on the movie was a, a chap called Ernest Haller. Right. Who was an Oscar-winning um, cinematographer, won the Oscar for Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. So, so you can see what he came from. Um, at the very beginning of the film, there's a really nice shot of the radio op, the radio operator, with the handset in his hand. It's a half close-up of his face, so it's showing one side of his face and the handset, and he's incessantly calling for um, battalion HQ. That's it, and it's just that incessant sort of like uh, X to X, you know, repeat X to X, come in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you've got the beads of sweat in his on his face. Exactly nice really sort of like it's a really tense shot and the only movement in the whole shot is his thumb flicking the send receive lever back and forth yeah which is something you don't really see when people show radios and movies and b it's it's a really nice really beautifully so sort of like framed shot
0: it is and the cinematography is strong
1: very strong that yeah.
0: obviously comes down to the not having maybe not making the movie they wanted without the pentagon help you know, the framing of some of the bits is lovely. You know, you see the when they're walking in into the deeper, into the sort of canyon, you know, they've got the hills and things. It looks very much like, well, they're walking into the the valley of the Shadow of Death now. Mm. You know, it's very atmospheric.
1: There's a nice shot of Benson's feet when he goes looking for uh, Sergeant Kenyon, yeah. who was tailing Charlie. And it's just his feet moving through the sand. I like that. Of the road, and it's just a really beautifully, sort of like framed mm. uh, medium shot of, of him walking. Um, we don't see anyone skulking. We don't see the rest of Robert Ryan. We just see his feet shuffling through the sand, calling out to the sergeant. And it's another one of those tense moments that the tensions created through the cinematography.
0: Even you, when you, when you learn about them being cut off, the way that the movie's been shot up to that point, you've only seen a few men like and then you see the you know it shows you the scale of where they are and I'm like oh actually yeah they are cut off you know they aren't on a front line with
1: divisions the around them they, they look pretty desperate one thing that did bother me about about the film kind of nagged was how empty it felt yeah okay yeah on so the flip side I'll give I'll give you that definitely it it kind of feels very empty so they they've either been ambushed or they've hit mines one or the other And they know the enemy are around. But there's no sort of... I don't know. They don't convey... The film doesn't convey this feeling of a battle space which is inhabited by two sides. For a lot of the movie, it feels like it's just the American column moving on its own. We occasionally get some infiltrators. But we don't... I don't think it really creates that feel of constant pressure that being behind enemy lines would would convey would create
0: you know they could have been sniped at a few times Mm. you know on the ridge lines or you know they could have had to dodge machine gun fire from being exposed themselves too much he could have benefited with a little bit more. I, you know, I think even, you know, we're talking ahead of, of time, but even a movie like um, A Healing Career, which is a British Korean War movie, that conveys the men being in a war zone a lot more effectively than this does.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's because we see the enemy at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. so We see them uh, at the outset when when the they've stopped in that village. And then the North Koreans arrive and, and they attack and they have to they have to basically fight and retreat out of the village. But the enemy and then the rest of the, film, the rest of that movie is just a, a fighting retreat, isn't it really? Yeah, but then the enemy in this one in Men at War
0: they just seem a little bit they're sort of secondary, they're not important. Mm. And I think it, it, they need to be important because you're so scared of them picking you off, but yet you barely see them. And then at the end, the whole the whole platoon is is killed by effectively four men, four, four enemy
1: men, something like that. Yeah, there's no feeling of those overwhelming North Korean numbers. No, there's not, and I don't. They probably didn't have the budget to show it, but exactly. And I think that is what it is. I think they didn't have the budget. They didn't have the budget to arm some of the North Koreans properly. So they were they were said to be, you know, stealing weapons, mm. etc.
0: They could have given them carbines or or Garands. It wouldn't have jarred me. I'd have known what they were going for.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. you could have narratively said, "Oh, they must have captured those from the the hill." Yeah, they could have said that. Yeah. I think it's interesting you mentioned A Hill and Career because I think there's some real parallels between the two films. Mm. Uh, when you think about it, they're both about platoon sized elements, yeah. both about the relationship between a lieutenant and, and an NCO and the decisions they make to get to somewhere. And there's those little moments of set piece. But I, I think, honestly, I think uh, A Hill in Career probably does it better.
0: No, I think it does. I think it does. I think it has a stronger plot they're forced to go somewhere in here in healing career whereas in this one they know where they're going
1: yes yeah that's true there's there's sort of a thought process to healing career and they they kind of think oh well we'll have to go here then because there's nowhere else for us to go we're boxed in that's where you get the jeopardy from yeah
0: we're gonna have to make a last stand whereas we have to get to this hill to get back to everyone else Mm -hmm. but yet you never see the rest of their division
1: like where the hell were they well the thing is why are they attacking that hill yeah if they're on the hill if they if their if their battalion position is was on that hill and the North Koreans are occupying that hill, why the hell are they attacking that hill? On their own. When there is a probably a battalion brigade sized element that has pushed the frontline battalion yeah. off the hill or wiped it out. Yeah, it's it's a lot of plot holes in it. When you think about it, Ray's character has driven away from that hill range. Yeah. His unit has been wiped out. There's no communication with Benson's unit, the larger battalion. So you've got to you've got to sort of like assume that's two U.S. battalions that aren't operational. They've either been pushed back or completely wiped out. What good is taking a Dodge or a Jeep full of you know a, a few thousand rounds of you know fake calibre ammo and a rocket launcher and a, launch a flamethrower up to a hill when yeah. you don't know if anyone's there? Yeah. And when you get there, you find out, oh, there's North Koreans here. Probably shouldn't attack that with just 12 men. So, yeah, I mean, if you overthink it and you think about what, what yeah, is I mean, actually it, going on in the movie, it's inherently, we can't help it in this, on this
0: pod. You know, we watched the movies yeah. a few times. You know, we start thinking, you start thinking from your own research into the, the wars that are fought and how wars are fought. And you think, well, hang on a minute, there's a disconnect. And unfortunately, mm. that's the essence. That's why we do the podcast. We like to talk about war films and also look at them. From a historical point of view, and that happens.
1: And Men at War isn't inherently an awful film. No, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that at all. It it has some interesting sort of attempt to show combat fatigue, shell shock. It has some interesting attempts to show the interrelationship between officers and NCOs when that breaks down. Definitely. It, it's an interesting movie. It's probably just not carried off as well as it could have been because no. of the, some of the restraints of budget.
0: Yeah, it would have been nice to have, been, have seen what Pentagon help might have helped, might have added. Mm. You know, they might have had the extra men for, you know, a swarm of North Koreans coming coming down on that hill and maybe, maybe getting them to run away or something like that or having a few tanks and things like that might have really helped yeah. it. It's a long film, but it sort of mirrors their journey. I think that, you know, there's filmmaking elements that have been used to sort of prop up the things they don't have. I say it before on the pod, but it's using what you've got, not what you haven't.
1: Yeah, that's very true. That's very true of this movie. Um, it has its positives. You know, there's there's nice scenes with tension. Yeah. There's some really nice cinematography work. Mm. Um, Ray and, and Ryan's performances are pretty solid. Yeah, they are actually. The supporting cast is is pretty. You know, they're pretty good with the small amount of work that they're given. Yeah, Vic
0: Vic Moreau does does a good job playing a, a shell. Yeah, shelf
1: the, the the NCO that sort of loses it in the minefield is a little bit tropey. Yeah, a bit bit melodramatic, isn't it? Mine. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a little weak. Yeah, but um, I liked. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely not. It's, I, I watched it as a kid years ago. Same. And even then, I watched it and thought, "Wow, this is a lot of build up." And even as a kid, I thought, "I know that these films normally end with you know like a bit of action, you know, a climactic battle." So I thought, oh, this will be a really good one. Um, and then the ending is just kind of kind of not what you expect. And yeah. obviously, as you said earlier, that's probably what man and the screenplay was aiming for. One of the nice things as well is, one, one of the positives to
0: take from it is showing in the 50s, men were men, they were rugged, they smoked fags, you know, they had hard working jobs, they were ru- They were rugged. But this movie doesn't show that. It shows men as being scared Sick of sick of their environment, sick of war,
1: just wanting to go home. I thought that was quite refreshing. I like that. Yeah, and that 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 lives up to the men in war title. Yeah, I think it does. So I think maybe that wraps up for this week. I think so. Yeah. I, th- I think um, it's just one of those films that divided our opinion. Could have been better, but has some solid elements. You know, it's an interesting movie. If you got a couple of hours to kill, you could do worse. You could watch 2016's D-Day. Oh God, no, not again. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Ooh, ah, uh. oh, just Nick Cage is like Nick Cage's son is like the fattest Ranger colonel in history. <laughs> it's so bad. There's no words. There's no words for that movie. But yeah, we we're, we're going to end up covering it. I can feel it. We will. Anyway, but in regards to Men in War, I think it's an important movie to sort of put into the context of other korean war movies for sure i think is, is a good way of thinking about it because it's attempting to do something which other movies of the period didn't do very often no there, were, there are other movies that did it but or attempted it but i think many more attempts to give a grittier more sort of realistic yeah. representation of the mental stress that combat creates yeah it's like battleground in that respect really mm. isn't it it's like it's something like akin to
0: battleground and I think I think that's its strongest its strongest thing that is trying to show war in more of a, a more realistic way than the sort of gun ho driving
1: in movie sort of B movies you had at the time. Once you put it into the context of films like Pork Chop Hill and Fixed Bayonets, yes, Hill in Korea, then you know you have more of an idea of like where it sits in sort of the the pantheon of Korean War movies. So yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to drop us a
0: like, a subscription, turn on your notifications if you haven't already to make sure you always
1: um, are alerted when we, we put out a new episode. And if you had varying opinions on Men in War, let us know via Twitter, at FightingOnFilm. We really love hearing from you guys. So it's, that's one of the fun parts of doing the podcast. Yeah. So we love watching the movies, researching it, but I I really do enjoy like chatting to people on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.